pray. Short, sweet, terse. But not in some magic word kind of way. Because what Jesus does for his disciples is he gives them a template for how to approach God, who God is and what he's like and what's important to him. And within every phrase is almost um, a worldview of, of how to approach life and prioritize things in your own life as well, all packed within this thing that, that, get, that has become enshrined and called the Lord's prayer. And what we're going to be doing these next several weeks is, is kind of picking it apart. We're going to be looking at the different lines and seeing what is it that God is getting at um, behind these and why is this so central and so important to Jesus. So what we're going to look at today is this first line, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, for those of you who continue to read Shakespeare, something tells me you probably say our Father who art in heaven, right? And um, I probably don't need to say this, but, but I get this all the time. So let's just kind of start here by going, his name isn't art. Um, he's not doing art. And it's not about art, okay? It's an old way of saying, you know, our Father, you know, the one in heaven. Hallowed be your name. And what I want to start with, even within this phrase, is this, this little two-word phrase, um, our Father, specifically our Father in heaven. Now, in the ancient Near East, um, you didn't care about the gods, and the gods didn't care about you. At best, they were a means to an end, and at worst, they were the mafia. You know, you, you, you kind of had to pay them off so that they wouldn't do bad things to you. But Jesus then comes in the midst of this and says, wait, there is a God and his name is Yahweh. And unlike these other gods that you're used to, he doesn't want you to think of him as someone who's disinterested or, or, or doesn't care or, or, or is just of, of, of mean temperament. This is a God who invites you into the most intimate of relationships with himself, so much so that he wants you to think of him like a father. He invites you to call him our father, your, my dad. We take this for granted. But this was absolutely revolutionary in Jesus' day. That there was a God who would invite me to come to him and approach with him and do life with him in that kind of deep, personal, intimate way. You know, Christians, we talk all the time, don't we, about having a relationship with God? Do you realize that that phrase isn't even biblical? It's like the Trinity. You're not going to find that word, have a relationship with God in the Bible. But where it finds its foundation is smack dab in the middle of this father language. That God wants to have a relationship with you. And let me show you what that relationship is like. It's like me with a dad. Now, 
he goes even further with this. There's this one time where, where, where Paul is writing about it, and he goes, you receive the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, and there it is, Abba, Father, because he really loved the band, right? The way you say he, Father in Hebrew is Av. Give me an Av. Just like the way you say Dad in English is Dad, Right? But what happens when you take the word dad and you start adding syllables to it? How does it come out? Um, daddy? Daddy-o? I hope not on the latter, but daddy, right? Paul writes, and by him we cry, not just even father. It's kind of formal, father, isn't it? Like, like do you ever see someone calling their, their parent father? It's like, let's sit there in our suit and tie at the dinner table completely straight. It's, it's, no. Daddy. By him we cry, Daddy. Okay, straight up. Do you call God Daddy? Isn't that like just flat out weird? I, I mean, it's like, I don't even think I ever called my own dad Daddy. It's like gushy and sentimental and just, ew, especially when you get over the age of like five. <laughs> But Paul says, no, this is the kind of relationship God wants to have with you. I love how Wayne put it. We forget that we're little kids, little kids with God. And he goes, daddy, call me daddy, because he thinks of you like a daddy. Now, there are some of you here I know who have had amazing daddies. And there are some of you here who had some really lousy ones. Ones who were disinterested or absorbed in themselves, maybe worse, ones who were cruel or mean or even abusive. But I think at some level, all of us can grasp the ideal, can't we, of what a daddy is supposed to be, regardless of the relationship with our own. And this God in heaven, unlike other gods imagined in Jesus' time, comes and says, call me daddy. The most intimate of relationships. It's what I want to have with you. And what's so surprising to me, even more so, is that God does it with us when we're not even his kids. See, God had one and only son, and I've got news for you, it ain't you. All right? And I know some of you are sitting there and you're thinking, wait a minute, I thought we were all God's children. Okay, guys, look, as appalling as this might sound, can you just try to grasp your mind around the fact that your parents did in fact have sex and bring you into the world? God is not your parent. The Bible, in fact, will differentiate in two different ways between what it calls children of God and children of the world. Now, here's the question I need to pose to you today, and I don't want you raising your hands and embarrassing yourselves on this, all right? How many of you here were born Christian? Right? How many of you here were born Christian? 
I hope the conclusion you're coming to in your mind is none of you. There is no one born Christian. You're born into the world and adopted by God. And to think that there is this God that, well, you have no entitlement to. He has no legal right to care for you. He's under no obligation or compulsion to have anything to do with you any more than I have some kind of compulsion or a requirement to do with kids that aren't my own. But he looks at you and he goes, I choose you. Have you ever talked to someone who was adopted? Maybe you're adopted yourself. Someone who came to that realization or were found out later in life, and then you come to the realization that, wait a minute, this person chose me. Of all the people that could have been chosen, he chose me. To think that we're children of the world, but God comes to you. He looks at you, and he goes, I choose you. And I want you to call me father, daddy, or if you can't stomach it, dad. I think of the way this pops out throughout the Bible. How great is the love of the father that he has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, that we should be called that. And because he's called us that that's what we are. I think of this as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. I think of this, uh, where God says, I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters. All of this is tacked into this phrase, our father. It's not just an opening, like, well, what do I say? I said Jesus, dear Jesus yesterday. I guess I'll say Father today. No, within this is an entire way that God wants you to think about him as you approach him and draw near to him and communicate with him when you pray. Our Father. And again, don't miss the phrase, my Father, our. Because when when God adopts you, he adopts you into a family. All right. Anyone here have uh, siblings, brothers or sisters? You, you can be brave on this, all right? Not, not a trick. All right. Yeah, a lot of us here. Um, and maybe even if not, any of you have kids and plural, not just one. Okay? More than one. Whether in your relationship with your brothers and sisters or whether in your relationship as a parent to your kids, have you ever had those moments or come across those times when you wanted mom or dad all to yourself or when one of your kids wanted you all to themselves at the exclusion of everyone else? As though if the others didn't exist, it wouldn't matter. In fact, it would even be better because I would get their room And you have the personal ownership 
of dad. You know what I mean? You, you ever been there? My gosh, how much does that, I think, sometimes describe us in our relationship with Jesus? We want this personal, intimate, wonderful relationship with God, but sometimes I think it goes to such extremes that it starts to become exclusionary to the rest of the family. But guys, God has adopted you into his family. And so when you call God your father, you call his other kids brothers and sisters as well. And God will have it no other way. He'll have it no other way. No good parent allows one child to say, forget the rest of them, it's just you and me. No, you're a part of something bigger than just him and me. Pope Francis um, was giving an address. He does this weekly. And uh, he said something. Someone shared this with me. And he said something that I think speaks into this so amazingly. Let me just read to you excerpts of what he said that day. He spoke, Christians are not made in a laboratory but in a community called the church. There is no such thing as do-it-yourself Christians or free agents when it comes to faith. And I've just got to say as an aside, I think it's great that Pope Francis is familiar with DIY. It just... Every Christian, he said, can trace his or her faith back to parents, grandparents, teachers, friends. In the Old Testament, God called Abraham and began to form a people that would become a blessing for the world. With great patience, and God has a lot of it, he prepared the world of the ancient covenant and in Jesus Christ constituted them as a sign and instrument of the union of humanity with God in unity with one another. It is a dangerous temptation to believe that one can have a personal, direct, immediate relationship with Jesus Christ without communion with and apart from God's people. It's not always easy to walk the path of faith with others. Sometimes it's tiring. It can happen that a brother or sister creates problems for us or scandalizes us, but the Lord entrusted his message of salvation to human beings, to us, to witnesses. It is through our brothers and sisters with their gifts and their limits that God comes to us and makes himself known. This is what belonging to a church means. Remember, being Christian means belonging to God's family. If your first name is Christian, then your last name is member of a church. Never give in to the temptation of thinking you can do without others, without God's people, of thinking you can be a laboratory Christian. Christians are not manufactured in isolation, but belong to a long line of believers who handed on the faith and challenge one another to live it fully. Isn't that great? 
all of this circling in this little phrase that Jesus teaches his disciples. When you pray, when you think about God, when you think about your life, when you try to figure out how to approach him and what he's like and what's important, our Father. And he goes on to this next line. Hallowed be your name. Our Father, okay, I know who we are. I know who you are. I know how you want to approach us. I know what you've done for me. Our Father, what do I pray? What are the first things off my lips? I'll tell you, when I pray, the first things off my lips are whatever's bothering me that day, whatever's worrying me that day, whatever's got me all kind of tied up in knots inside or I'm struggling with or held down by or yearning for or hoping for. How about you? Jesus says, no, when you pray, our Father, the first things off your lips, hallowed be your name. Now, I hear hallowed, and I think of Halloween, right? What, what, what does hallowed even mean? Make holy your name. It's a command. It's a command to God. God, make your name holy. I mean, your name is holy, but make it known. Make it known where? Make it known throughout the world. Make it known in every dark pocket of this globe that, that defies you and resists you. Make it known in every haunt, in every hollow. Make your name holy. Make it holy in me. Stamp it in me. Is I bear your name, as I carry your name, may other people see it in me and go, that God is holy. Make holy your name, O Lord, in the world, before others, before my enemies, in me. I think of what the commandments say. You know the first one, you shall have no other gods before me. But you know the second one? Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain is how it's classically kind of put. And everyone kind of reduces it to approaching it in such a way that it means, well, don't like use God's name in a swear word. It's something so much deeper and richer than this. As you bear God's name, may it not come across vainly because you bear God's name. You carry it, you're marked with it. What are you praying, God? Show yourself holy in me. Flip the attitudes and impressions of people in this world from thinking you're like the gods of the ancient Near East, from thinking that you're disinterested or like the mob. Flip the attitudes and impressions of people in this world and show and make your name holy in them as well. It's, it, it so ties in with me um, to this, this passage that talks about the reality of who Jesus is. This follower named Paul writes, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess 
that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is holy, that, that, that people see him for who he truly is. And what do you pray in this prayer? God, make that reality in me. How is God's holiness stamped in your life? How are you allowing him to show himself for who he truly is in you? Because every time you dare utter the phrase, hallowed be your name, it's exactly what you're asking for. That all things would come to honor him in his way been having these moments working through the Lord's prayer. Going, I can't pray this anymore. I mean, there's parts I've known I can't pray for a while. Here's one. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. No, I'm not saying that. That's ridiculous. Forgive me despite how I forgive other people, right? You really want God forgiving you as you forgive others? And the deeper I go, the deeper God starts to convict me. Hallowed be your name? No, go do it on your own, God. Go do it somewhere else. Yeah, just kind of do your thing and I'll stay out of the way. No, God wants to do it here in me and he wants to do it in you as well. And he doesn't let us escape it, does he? Jesus doesn't let us dodge it. Now, do you want to pray? Do you want to come to God the right way? Do you want to? Then pray it. Seek it. Mean it, hallowed be your name. All of this, guys, all of this and more, it's tucked in this little phrase, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's how God wants you to think about him and approach him. It's how he wants you to think about yourself and prioritize what's important in your life. It's how he wants you to talk to him. That's my hope for you. That those of you here who pray, start learning to pray Jesus' way. That those of you here who utter the, the words of the Lord's Prayer, that it becomes something so much deeper and more than just an empty or cliche phrase. And for those of you here who don't pray, that you hear God's invite to approach him in the most intimate and amazing of ways, keyed in, keyed in to who he is and how he thinks about you every step of the way. So uh, Wayne and uh, Audrey are going to come forward. And as they do, they're, they're going to just lead us in a time of prayer. 
In, in these next few moments, uh, we just encourage you to stay seated. We're just going to uh, sing this song that tries to get at the heart of some of this. And there's a passage that we're going to put on the screen. And let me read it in, in, in full to you. This, this ancient follower of Jesus writes to this group of fledgling believers and says, guys, because we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. And it's this next line, especially, that I hope strikes you today. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, not with fear or trembling or apprehension, but like you're going to your dad with whom you have the closest and deepest and most open and trusting and safe relationship imaginable with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. What I encourage you at your seats is take a few. Pray through what it means to call him Father. And pray through what it means to call him our Father. Talk to him about the implications of saying, Lord, hallowed be your name. and invite him to do just that. Oh. 